Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Fellow Falcoholics, what is up? Welcome to another episode of Falcons Trudge Talk here on the Dirty Birds of Brews podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Knight, at Falcoholic Kevin, joined by my co-host, Jordan Watkins. He's at Big75, fellow host of the Falcons Fade podcast and contributor over at Falcoholic.com, along with myself, Jordan. Uh, tough game on Sunday, frustrating game. Uh, we definitely went long on the post-game show. Now we've had a little bit of time to digest, uh, but before we get into it, how we how we doing today? You know, it's like you said, we, we've turned the page, uh, got big things going on today. We've got to wear my high school's hoodie because they're playing for state championship today right. over yeah. in the Bend. So shout out to Woodward, all those guys, the coaches over there still know a lot of them from when I played there. So yeah, I've, I've turned, I've turned the corner. It's a new day and hope, hope they get it done. Mm-hmm. I hope your high school won't disappoint you like the Falcons disappoint us, but you know, I think, <laughs> I think my high school, they only made it to the second round of the playoffs this year, but good for those guys. Shout out to shout out to Niceville. Uh, it's nice. a much more threatening team than the name would imply, but, uh, <laughs> I think I've only nice had feelings. one team, uh, that I, that I cheer for make it to a championship and disappoint me. So I think we'll be good. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a good number. We can't have any more than that. That's two, any more than that. And you might, <laughs> bad things might happen to you, but yeah, guys, we're here to, to recap this Falcons loss to the bucks, which is obviously crushing both from a morale standpoint. Whereas the Falcons, you know, on especially defensively, did what they needed to do to win this game, uh, it it crushes their playoff chances too. It, they would have gone from close to ninety percent now down into the forties uh, if they win this week against the Panthers. If they lose to the Panthers, they're pretty much done. So, um, which let's you know, hopefully we don't have to worry about that eventuality. Listen, they're probably going to lose later and crush our hopes. But <laughs> you you lose to the Panthers, don't worry about the numbers. That's all. Yeah, I say. yeah, we don't need to worry about any percentages at that point. But um, we're going to get into it, guys, and and talk a little bit about the performance on both sides and the trenches. Really, in this one, I think we have a lot of nice things to say about with a lot of guys having to step up and play. At one point in this game, the Falcons had four backup offensive linemen in the game, and things didn't really collapse. Uh, so that that definitely is deserving of some accolades uh, for those guys. So we'll definitely get to that and talk about the defense playing a lot of reserves as well, particularly on the interior, uh, holding up reasonably well. You know, they hold the Bucks to under 300 total yards, but unfortunately the offense once again gift wraps the Bucks. 10 points essentially in this game and that ends up being the difference uh at the end of the day so we'll get into it guys before we do of course want to bring you a word from our sponsor betonline.ag folks all the major sports are in action this week with the college football playoffs ready to kick off bowl season is here as well i don't think anyone's betting on high school football you know i don't i don't know if they're doing props for one word that that would i'm sure people are because there's a lot of degenerates out there, but I, I don't think Bet Online yeah. does high school props. So that's probably one place where they don't have you. But Bet Online is your number one destination for all your sports wagering info, including news for pro football, the NBA, upcoming fights, and NHL games this season. So head to that website, betonline.ag, today 
to get into the action and see all the updated odds for the week. Just remember when you sign up to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Remember that code is BELIEVE, B L E A V, 50% welcome bonus on that first deposit, guys. Bet online where the game starts. All right. Well, I want to give props to the defense first because. For all of the Bucks' issues, they've generally been a pretty decent offense, especially throwing the ball. And with the Falcons' defense, particularly the trenches in this one, no David Onyemata. Obviously, Grady Jarrett's out for the season. Lakeo London does start practicing, but apparently was not quite... I'm assuming it's probably conditioning-related, you know, because he was practicing in full. Um, not quite ready to return this week. So the Falcons have to go to Contavious Street, who also ends up leaving the game... Uh, at, at a certain point, thankfully it looks like that was not a torn peck. I, that's what I was worried about when he was holding his shoulder like that. It sounds like it, it is a peck injury, but not a serious one. So thankfully there, but they had to rely on, on Contavious street, uh, Taquan Graham. They had to bring in, you know, Travis Bell getting his first real game action this week. And, you know, to, to be fair, I think they, they did a good job. Like they, they didn't. Shut down the Bucks, but no one was asking them to do that. This is a lot of reserves in there. We weren't expecting the run defense to be the same without Nate Lambin in there either. But we do get, you know, a good, really good game from Albert Huggins, uh, who struggled in his his play early in the season. Didn't really make an impact. Contavious Street had a good game. Zach Harrison stepped up. Taquan Graham had one of his better games. You know, pretty much everyone out there was able to contribute and it was really a good team effort. And while the Bucks did end up putting up a total of 150 rushing yards, a lot of that came on the final drive. I think like 30 or 40 of it came on the final drive of the game. Um, you know, that I, I give them props for that because, and they got pressure too, which is not something they've been able to do very frequently, even with the starters in there, they were able to get Baker Mayfield on the ground several times in this game. So, uh, I was pretty impressed by by the way the reserves fared. Uh, much better than the Cardinals game where it just they couldn't do anything out there. Yeah, you know, again, that's why on the post game show, one of the first things I wanted to say is that I, I was so proud of the effort. Right now, again, when you get to certain levels of a depth chart, and this is why I'll keep saying it, there's no true such thing in all situations of next man up, because certain situations, certain guys go out. It's just hard to replicate what they do. That's why certain guys get paid the amount of money that they do, right, and have the certain accolades that they've had over over the course of time in this league. But oh, from the majority of the game, and again, you know, you talked about what they did on the ground. I know Tampa had over 120 rushing yards on the ground. But like you said, a lot of that, not even just in the fourth, I mean, in the last drive, but also in the fourth quarter in general, yeah. which again, after a while, you didn't really have much of a rotation. You know, yeah. one of the things that we, we lauded, <clears throat> excuse me, earlier in this year, goodness all right um earlier in this year was the depth that the falcons are going to be able to have especially in the interior right and so you think about that four maybe probably like four of your top guys are are out so now you're down to you know okay now you got to go in and make a play you got to go in and make a play and so yeah that's tough and you also talked about you know nate lamon being out and i mean look i'm not saying that they would have rewarded us the ball if they make this call but even his replacement, Andre Smith, yeah, makes a punch. And again, like you just don't know what they call in that situation, right? If if they call the fumble on the field, so um, you know, like once they didn't call it, I know they looked at it. They said they confirmed it or whatever. They didn't confirm anything. There's just no way you could tell on that. Yeah, on replay it was not clear who's going to yeah. get the ball. Yeah. So um, look, I mean, so that's just one of the things. And I know Arthur Smith. I give him 
flack all the time. But one thing I will give him credit for in this moment is one thing he's talked about all year long, and that's about the practice plan and how they practice in a certain way that preaches and promotes depth, right? And I think you saw a good bit of that uh, up front, you know, offensively, which I know we'll get to later, but defensively too. But said it's just, it's just they just ran out of gas, you know, later on in that game. It was so obvious because it wasn't like they were the Tampa Bay. They started hitting us laterally. No, they were hitting us right in the mouth. Where again earlier in the game, that really wasn't there. So you know, when you have a running back uh, talking about Rashad White, where he had, I believe, um, he had 102 yards on the ground, and his longest run was 12 yards. Right. Yeah. So that that's that's one of those slow burns um, that that where they got to that point. So. Um, yeah, like I said, it's just one of those things. If you look at the box score, looks like the Falcons weren't really that good on the ground, but that doesn't tell the whole story. Yeah, no, and it's true. And it, it just reminds me, like, I, I was a big fan of Rashad White coming out, and, and I, he had a tremendous senior bowl, and he was a guy I thought the Falcons could have interested in because he's not the biggest running back, but he, much like Bijan, he's kind of in that 210 to 215 range, or at least he was in college. I know Bijan's bulked up a bit in the NFL. Yeah. I think he plays more like 220 now. But, um, you know, that he was able to, to, to survive contact and, and their bucks are finally utilizing him well. And this is not related to the defense. It's just frustrating when you see Tampa Bay, you know, Rashad white had 25 carries uh, to chase yep. Edmonds eight. And how many carries do you think Bijan Robinson had in this game? Well, I mean, we had 26 as a team, so let, let's just give that context. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So th- he didn't have 25. Uh, he had 10 right. carries and that we're going to mm-hmm. get to that when we get, to, to why the Falcons screwed this game up offensively. But one of the big reasons is right there, folks. Uh, Bijan Robinson, 10 carries in this game against a team that didn't have one of their best run defenders in the middle. And to be fair, looked fairly vulnerable against the run when the Falcons did it. Bijan had a big run. And, well, I guess they called it a pass technically because it was like... Oh, on that, that jet Yeah, speed. yeah. But that was, you know, I, I count that as more of a run. So it hurts his rushing total because of that. But, um, you know, whatever, five for 54 as a receiver. Uh, but yeah, well, we'll get to that when we get to the offense, you know, game plan issues, but, um, you know, I think the Falcons defense as a whole, like, and, and you brought up a good person to go to next, which is Andre Smith had to, to start his first game for the Falcons here. And he ended up being the second highest graded defender, according to PFF, uh, ends up with a 75.2, um, and played well. Like, I mean, um, I don't think he was as impactful against the run as Nate Lamb, but not as like stifling a tackler. But mm-hmm. one thing that the Andre Smith has always done well in his career is cover. And I thought he did very well in that role. Um, and I thought he tackled just fine. I mean, it wasn't like elite tackling like we've come to expect from Nate Lamb, where he just stonewalls guys at the line of scrimmage, but he was effective in his tackling. I thought he typically made the correct reads. I thought he filled his gaps. He did exactly what you would hope your reserve linebacker can do. And, you can just tell the coach, like, this is one of those things. You can just tell you have good defensive coaching when the next man up doesn't, you don't lose, you don't take a big step back. You know, you know you're going down in talent. No offense to Andre Smith. Obviously, anyone who's playing in the NFL is extremely talented. But yeah. going from, you know, Nate Lamon, who's been clearly showing himself to be, wow, this guy is finally getting back. This is a, this is a legit top uh, run defending linebacker to Andre Smith, who was more of a reserve guy. And, you don't really lose too much. I mean, you, you take a step back in terms of the stifling run defense there, but now we've seen two backup linebackers come in and both play well. Um, so I, I'm just really impressed. I, you have to tip your cap to this coaching staff, the linebackers coach, and they, they're getting these guys ready to play 
uh, and, and everyone seems to be on the same page. Even the reserves know what they're supposed to do. You're not seeing the mistakes. You're not seeing any communication errors. Um, and, you know, Caden Ellis, too. Like, obviously, he had to step up with, with Lehman not being in there, and he had to yeah. take control, which he was already doing. But he, he ends up having one of his better games as well um, in, in Lehman's absence. So I just love that this is a next-man-up defense, and both on the defensive line and in the linebacker room, we're seeing these guys step up when we really needed them to. Well, I mean, you could honestly say that on all three levels. Yeah, on secondary defense, too. Right? I mean, yeah, yeah. we, we talked about Clark Phillips. We yep, talked about yep. D. Alford. You know, even Mike Hughes made some plays in this yeah. game. Even Mike uh, Hughes, DeMar- UCF legend. You know, yeah. yeah I mean, we, we talked about the Marco Helms in the last few weeks. I know he, he. I think he missed, missed an assignment on that last drive. But overall, yeah. you know, like every wherever you look on this defense, you've seen certain guys step up here and there. Uh, which, yeah, to your point, um, it's a testament to the guys being ready. But it's also a testament to the coaching staff making sure they stay ready and also certain scheme things, right, that you might have to switch up where it's – again, we talked about uh, Ryan Nielsen doing this starting last week in the Jets game where it was, okay, Nate Lemon goes down. I'm going to bring Richie Grant more in the box, right, and kind of be like a that Keanu Neal, Kamal Ishmael type of guy where now you kind of are a pseudo linebacker too, right? It's It's finding different things that you can do to still put some guys in the best possible situation to succeed. And again, like I know we talk about that on offense a good bit and how we'd like to see that be handled better at times as well. But this, I guess this is like the perfect example I can use is what we've seen on defense with who's gone down, the positions where they've gone down, also just the amount of guys at one position that have gone down. Right. So that's uh, credit to everyone around. And again, it's unfortunate that, you know, there's, like three plays, yeah. I would say in this game, especially in that fourth quarter, where if you you they're a little different. You turn them around. Who knows how this game goes, right? Because uh, yeah. I mean, you you saw you know, AJ Terrell starting to catch heat again. Um, he had a great game. Yeah. You know, okay, we talked about Caden Ellis in the run game. He also had a pretty good PBU in the corner of the end zone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Over on the Huge. right side. Um, I mean, you know, again, you can just go on and on about certain guys and. Like I said, it's just unfortunate that, uh, you know, like I said, Helms missed that one coverage, I think. And then, of course, you know, Otten made a good play for the touchdown over uh, over Richie Grant. But I think another thing, though, if I did want to be at least somewhat critical is, again, the one place where we didn't have the injuries in this game was on the edge. And you would just want to continue to see that, that growth and development from that group, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you talked about the pressures. Um, there was one play in particular, and this was early in the game, and I'm so big on first drives, first quarters, because, you know, you want to set that tempo set and just set how the game's going to go early on. Um, and so I think it was the first drive, and I want to say Arnold Evacati had a chance to get a second. It was on Tristan Wirfs, too. So that, that made it even more impressive to me, right? Yeah. I know people in the past talked about, oh, he got that sack, but nobody blocked him. Oh, he got that sack, but it was on a second stringer. Okay, well, this is one of the best left tackles in the game. Yeah. Yeah. He beats him, and you got a chance to get Baker Mayfield down. He didn't. I think we still made him punt anyway. Yes, we did. Something along those mm-hmm. regards. But um, mm-hmm. it was just one of those of, like, just think, like, what that would have done right then and there for yeah. his confidence, get things going for the rest of the group, too. If Not only if you win early, but you beat that guy yeah. for a sack or two. Um, so, yeah, again, it's just one of those things where, again, I, I applaud their effort, too, because obviously they made some really good run stops as well. But, again, it just comes down to – now, we saw some sacks start to pile up a little bit more um, in the last few weeks, and I was hoping that was going to be a continuing trend here, uh, especially from that group. Yeah. 
Yeah, and for you know, this is a this Bucks de- offensive line is really vulnerable on in the interior, and I think with the Falcons losing David on Yamada, that that's so much of their pressure. Uh, you know, he's such a huge percentage of their pass rush, pass rush win rate. And without him in mm-hmm. there, you know, they just, they lose so much juice. And, and it's also just being able to rotate that type of impact player in, you yeah. know, like, and to be fair, like Calais Campbell played a lot on the inside, five pressures, Calais Campbell. I mean, that's, that's hero stuff. Like, like, I mean, that's the, how old is this man? Like he's out there getting five pressures in an NFL game. That is, that is super impressive. Taquan Graham threw in three as well. Um, but they just didn't get much from the edge group, right? I mean, only two from Bud Dupree, only one from Arnold Evacati. Uh, and that mm-hmm. was basically all the pressure from the outside the entire game. Because uh, Lorenzo Carter didn't have any. Um, you know, we didn't see any from Zach Harrison as well. Although those guys did play really, really well against the run. Um, particularly Carter, who ends up as, I think, the highest graded player on on defense. Uh, just yeah. a hair above Bates and Ellis and Carter, but or Andre Smith. So... They were able to get some pressure, but again, they just haven't been able, the edge group is that's where we obviously need the biggest infusion of talent on this defense. There's no question. Um, Bryce Huff, you are a Falcon, <laughs> <laughs> um, but they're going to throw the bag at someone and they're probably going to draft someone as high as they can. Uh, so, you know, we'll see how that shakes out. But yeah, I we got to talk about your guy. I mean, AJ Terrell, his best. I think this is clearly his best game against Mike Evans, which ruined my prize oh, pick. But yeah, it ruined my prize pick, but we'll take that. We take that L, um, you know, because either way I win. If, if AJ Terrell shuts down Mike Evans, I thought the Falcons would win, so I'd be happy. But unfortunately, you know, even that didn't end up working out. But um, AJ Terrell is his best game against Mike Evans. That's, that's always great to see. Uh, Clark Phillips has to go out there and play Chris Godwin a lot. Um and he was targeted six times in that matchup. Clark Phillips allowed zero receptions in the game. Uh, so, I mean, just absolutely outstanding performance. Uh, six targets, zero receptions allowed. I mean, that is two pass breakups on those as well. Uh, I mean, I don't think you can take this guy off the field, which is exactly what we said in the preseason. I was like, well, he's going to get on the field and then they're not going to be able to take him off. It's like, I don't, I don't think you could take him off the field. You got to find a way to get this guy in there. You know, it's one of those things where, again, now here's a coaching question for me. And this is again, more curiosity, I think than anything. What took him, what took him so long? (laughs) You know, like, and I get it. Like obviously D Alford has done a great job playing, playing, playing nickel. Uh, yeah, AJ and Jeff Okuda on the outside. It's like, I get it, but why are look, we seeing Mike Hughes? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like one of those things where, look, I, yeah. and um, just for Falcons fans, especially those of you in the South or on the East Coast, like you probably didn't see that much of Clark Phillips, you know, playing in the Pac 12. But I'm t- like, if y'all remember again, back to the draft coverage when I was actually on for that for that day, and when Kevin said that we got Clark Phillips, I was like, what? You know, I it, it was really one of those things because I, I just knew he was a dog. And, yeah. again, he's just one of those guys where sometimes, again, we take too much into certain guys' physical traits and, and abilities and don't actually just watch the tape. Because, again, his tape is nowhere near anywhere past second round. Like, I, no. I'm just yeah. – that's that's how good he was at Utah. So, um, it's just – I enjoy it because, again, it just confirms what I've been watching – you know, all the years that he was he was over there uh, in Salt Lake City. But also it's fun to let everybody else now get to know him, too. Um, and I think what's even more impressive than what he does in the in the past game is what he does in the run game. He is not afraid 
I don't care how small he is. He's not afraid to put his nose in there and make a play. Um, like I said, dude's just, a, he's a dog. He's a gamer. Um, and what he doesn't have physically, he makes up in technique. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like there was one of those plays that was later in the game. And like when it was live, I thought he had a chance to pick it, but I mean, it was going to be a, a super difficult yeah. interception, right? Like it was, it was an amazing PBU by, mm-hmm. by Clark, but it's saying like, it, it's the more he has to play. I'm telling you before this year comes to an end and it might be next, it might be next week, honestly, who knows, but yeah. he, he's got an interception coming. Oh yeah. It's coming. He, that, and that was always like, he was such a great zone corner in college and it's not like he was a poor man corner, but he, he really excelled in the zone. You could, the instincts are there. Yeah. He just knows the spacing he needs to bait quarterbacks, exactly how much room he needs to work. And the Falcons really didn't have a good zone. Like AJ Terrell is obviously good in zone. He, he can do anything. Jeff Akuda, you could tell he's much better as a man coverage. Corner. Physical he's man always guy, yeah. played like when he's had to play zone, the spacing, it's just not there. The instincts, all that. Um, so when so when the Falcons are having to play zone with Clark Phillips, it looks way better. Um, and, you know, Phillips doesn't offer the measurables of Jeff Okuda. He doesn't offer the run defense because Jeff Okuda, like, he's big and he's physical and he's going to be a better tackler. But what Clark Phillips has, I think, demonstrated is that even if he's not going to be able to make the tackle himself, because, look, the guy's 5'9", like, he may not be able to bring down a 220 running back with a head of steam, mm-hmm. but he can do what he needs to do, which is get hands on or redirect to the sideline, which when you're the outside corner, you have to at least get in the way. You have to slow him down, let someone else get there. And I think he's done an excellent job of that. Like he, he has the correct technique. He knows what to do to slow down the guy. He knows how he can redirect him outside or just try to slow him down enough for reinforcements to get there. And I think he's done that very well. Um, But it's one of those things where at that size, the slot, I always thought it was going to be harder for him because in the slot you have to be a primary run defender, um, and we've and it's not impossible to be good to be a, a good run defender at that size. We've seen D'Alford really show that. Like D'Alford's only marginally mm-hmm. bigger, um, but it, it, it's it's rare, and it's you know I think Clark Phillips just you can tell how much more experience he has playing outside. He knows exactly what to do. He knows where to send guys. He knows where to, where to stick his head on the play. Whereas in the slot, the instincts aren't there because he just didn't really do it much in college. So yeah. I I think it's pretty obvious that he's an outside corner. Um, and not to say he can't ever learn to play the slot, but I think that this is a guy you want playing outside. Like there are a, a handful of these guys that are just small outside corners that work in the NFL. DJ Reed was the guy I brought up as a comp for him. Um, but, you know, we, we've seen one in Atlanta with Brent Grimes, right? It's another mm-hmm. small corner that just... Sometimes these guys, they're just good outside corners, even though they're small. And, you know, when you have someone like AJ Terrell, you can probably get Phillips a more favorable matchup. You don't have to match Phillips up against Mike Evans because you can have Terrell shadow him or whatever it may be. So if you if you have the, the guy across from him to do that, I think I think we're seeing that Clark Phillips can be a really good outside corner. Um, and I'm, you know. I, I I'm really excited to, to see what he can do, because that that pick in the fourth round is so huge because it, it gives them flexibility with Jeff Akuda's contract and so many other things going forward where, you know, maybe if you do sign Jeff Akuda, then now you don't have to really draft anybody else. Like you don't need reinforcements. You've, you've got quarterback pretty much set for several years now. So that, you know, I mean, I think this is, is already shaping up to be the best day three pick of, of, uh, of Fontenot's tenure. Drew Dahlman definitely 
up there as well, obviously, with, with how much he's had to step in and play. But, mm-hmm. yeah, super impressed with Clark Phillips. Uh, glad that he's finally getting a chance to get on the field. And I, I hope we continue to get great things from him as the season continues. Yeah, again, it's like you said, you know, if you look all across the league, a lot of the best teams, they can spend money in all these big uh, places because they don't have to spend money because on um, other places because their later round picks work out, right? I mean, obviously, look, I can talk about San Francisco all I want. Look at guys like George Kittle, where he was drafted, Fred Warner, of course, Brock Purdy. Um, you know, you have such things like that where you you don't – when you can just put guys in and play them right away and they work out, it allows you to spend. And, and of course – I know this is a little different because one of the places where we might have to spend or end up spending is at quarterback, which of course is the highest pay position out there. But yeah, anywhere you can potentially and possibly have an opportunity to save some money so you can spend there, it's going to be huge, right? So look again, we all know and think Jeff Okuda has been great, right? This year, like he, he's been everything we could ask for, especially for the pick that we gave up for him. Um, now, that being said, it's, what would that price point look like because of how he's played this year, right? Like if it looks a certain, if it's a certain number, certain range, oh yeah, we'll do it. If not, it's like, okay, well then we still have, you know, probably going to bring back AJ. You, you, you're going to have Clark Phillips. You'll have, you know, D Alford is probably going to be back. Like you, you have at least a little bit more to your point. You have a little bit more flexibility to try to make things happen um, than, than where you might have had, you know, Clark not worked out and shown what he's shown. Yeah, exactly. And, I, I I think that pick is going to pay dividends and, and be a big part of their plans moving forward. Um, and you know I'm glad he's he's gotten an opportunity uh, because a lot of sometimes those day three picks you just don't get the opportunity and you never really get to see what these guys can do for for years. Um, and I'm not mm-hmm. obviously glad that people got hurt in front of him. I'm just glad that he's got an opportunity. Um, so good for him. But speaking of guys getting opportunities uh, on the offensive side, you know obviously this was a game. A lot of opportunities. With a lot of opportunities and a lot of missed opportunities and a lot of mistakes. Um, and this this should have been a thirty point game. Like this should have easily been a thirty five yeah. plus point game for this offense. The Falcons put up four hundred and thirty four yards. Three, this was one of Ritter's better passing games in ter- terms of like yards per play, and um, it was very efficient through the air. And they only put up 25 uh, and they turn the ball over and they get a safety and they, they get, they literally give the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 10 points offensively. Um, And that's the difference in the game. Obviously the Falcons missed two field goals. You know, that sucks. Um, Obviously Mm -hmm. I'm I'm sure, I'm sure Koo is, you know, in his mind palace right now, getting, getting all that right. You know, we saw him not have any issues later in the game, but you know, obviously if he makes those field goals, we're, we're talking about a different game here, but you know, it shouldn't have been up to to those two field goals for the for this offense to win the game, um, because they had so many opportunities in the third quarter to pull away to to establish something. And this team punted four straight times uh, in the third quarter, and just kept putting the defense back out there over and over and over again. And that's what ended up, I think, leading to the big fourth quarter from the Bucks because yep. the defense was just exhausted at that point. And um, we see all these big pass plays. We see the passing game working, you know, I mean, and, and even like, you know, we look at that beautiful throw to Drake London. Oh, it wasn't really a beautiful throw. Drake London made a beautiful. <laughs> yeah. He made a great play. And what I was going to say was that the throw was actually terrible. Uh, and Drake London basically had to make a heroic catch to, to bring that in, to keep it from being picked off. Um, and yeah. because of how difficult the catch was, he didn't have any chance for yards after the catch because it could have been a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 
you know, the offense stays being so sloppy and the reason this team is losing games. And, you know, before we dive into praising these backup offensive linemen, because I think they, they absolutely did their jobs. I wanted to, you know, touch a little bit on how the game doesn't come down to the last drive, even though people think it does. Because this is, right, this right, is a right. four quarter game. And I think people watch the end of games. And I, and there have been some times where this defense really should have gotten it done. You know, you mentioned it. We were talking about before the show. The Vikings game. You have Josh Dobbs in your hands and you don't get the sack. Mm-hmm. That's on the defense, right? That That is like you you were there to make the play. You should have made the play. Now you could also say the offense, like maybe offense, you know, get your shit together and, and don't, don't have so many mistakes. You know, the same thing with the Cardinals game. Wow, you really should have put up more on this Cardinals defense and not relied on this defense to make the stop at the end. But... Those types of things, I think you can you can get on more of the defense for. But this game, the, the defense is out there all day uh, with a lot of backups, making stops through the first three quarters, and then they give up you know two touchdowns late. Um, that ends up being the difference in this game in terms of the score. But it's not that the the last drive is not what lost the Falcons the game what lost the Falcons the game was the culmination of everything that happened. And I know it's very, it's very easy to be like, well, the last thing that happened was the defense gave up a touchdown. So therefore the defense lost the game. No, the offense lost the game by failing to do anything for basically the entire middle two quarters of the game uh, while the defense was holding down their opponent. And then, you know, the sure it looks great that Ritter has all these comebacks and, and all these opportunities, but like you shouldn't, be relying on that every single game. Like the fact that you're having to pull off fourth quarter comebacks every week is not good. Like it's, it's not a good well, sign. Yeah, I mean, and offense. it's not like, it's not like you're in shootouts. No. Right. Where it's just like, you're trading, right. They score a touchdown. We score a touchdown. Now they score a touchdown. We score. That's not what this is. And so, you know, again, to your point, you talk about the play that Drake London had, and this is the reason what I've been saying all along in terms of just throw, just give the dude a chance. Yeah. Right. That's all you got to do is give him a chance. He can make a play happen. Right. And so I'm glad we got to see that. Also, there was a a, a breakdown of a play I saw on online on social media where he beat Carlton Davis to the outside on an out route when Carlton Davis had outside leverage. And it's just like, oh, maybe the dude can run some routes too. Like who who would have thunk that? Oh my goodness, I had no idea. Um, not saying that he's a burner or like, you know, he's gonna be a he's a magician route runner or things like that, but no, he can find ways to get separation. Um, you know, that being said, it's like, it's to your point, and I, and I do give Desmond Ritter credit for this in terms of, it seems like sometimes what goes on during a game doesn't phase him because then he'll turn right back around and yep. still find a way to have one of those game winning drives. But at the same time, it's look, yes, I get it. I've been very critical of, of coaching and play calling as it's been deservedly. So, but part of the reason why, even just for Desmond Ritter on his own sake, why he's, he's had to have all these game-winning drives is because there's certain throws that he doesn't make or some of the turnovers that we've seen that he's made during a game where that puts us in that situation, right? Uh, you know, like we finally – I saw a deep post for Scotty Miller, and he he had it. Scotty yeah. Miller had it. If mm-hmm. Desmond Ritter puts that ball where it's supposed to be, Scotty Miller walks into the end zone for a touchdown. But he he threw it too far into the field. Now it's a contested catch. It's not what Scotty Miller does. You know, that's a, a wasted opportunity. Um, still don't know what happened on that first drive inside the red zone because again, Bijan's open, so I don't know. Did he take it? Did he take the route too vertically? Did Desmond just miss him? I don't know what it was there, but again, there's a chance to get a touchdown again, just like I said, when you can get the chance to get the sack 
on Tristan Wirfs early, there's a big difference of energy between you get a touchdown early on like that on the drive versus you get a field goal, right? Yeah. So that that's a big difference as well. Um, and so, you know, it's just one of those things where I would take the game. Because remember, I was the one that said even with the three the three fumbles that we had against Tampa Bay the first time, I was like, you know, Desmond actually had a kind of pretty good game. Now I'm saying on the other side of it is, yeah, the numbers were there. Things look great. Of course, it's going to be inflated when you have the two long plays, right? One to Drake London, one to Cal Pitts. And then you also get stats for the the uh yeah, you know, the, the jet sweep for, for Bijan. Uh, so that helps too. But it was one of those games where I'm just like, eh, it was all right. Like I was more impressed with the first Tampa game with Desmond Ritter, at least like throwing the ball than I was in this one. And yeah. again, it's like, hey, the throw to Kyle Pitts was great. I loved it. Beautiful ball, you yeah. know? Um but, yeah, again, it was just some of those things of, like, some of the misses that you had because, again, especially with this offense of what we would like it to be in terms of really running the ball, you got to be able to hit on some of those those, those uh, deep those deep ones more consistently to open things up underneath. Yeah, and that that's just been the story all year with, with Ritter is that he obviously can make the throws, but, like, a good percentage of the time he just doesn't make the throws. Like, that they're – yeah. And that was one of his biggest issues in college was the accuracy is inconsistent and it's not a mechanical problem. It's I'm not exactly sure what it is because I think Ritter's mechanics are typically pretty clean. It's not a mechanical issue. It's just he just kind of scattershots the ball. And the hope was that, you know, if you get him some big receivers and some big targets and you, you have a good scheme that creates a lot of spacing and separation, that it's not a big deal. He could just put it up there and those guys can go get it. And that does happen some of the time in this game. You know, Drake Lennon goes sure, and yeah. gets it. Kyle Pittson goes and gets it. But you you can't afford the easy misses in the NFL. No. I mean, every, every quarterback's going to miss throws every game. It's going to happen, but it happens mm-hmm. every week with Desmond Ritter. And you look at that Bijan throw where he's wide open, and you're like, well, Bijan drifted up to – on those short passes, guys, you throw to the receiver. Like, so many things can happen on that route. Maybe somebody crashes and throws off the timing. Maybe Bijan has to go wide because of somebody blitzing. Like – you got to look at your receiver and put it on them because gotta they're be not necessarily they're not necessarily going to run to the exact spot. This is not like a timing route or like a, a you know, some kind of slant where it's like they're going to be at this exact spot and you you just drop and throw. Like you have to look at your guy and put it on him on these, in these a, situations. <laughs> and you got the defense that you wanted. Yeah. It was it looked like it was zero, so as soon as he got had to run through that traffic, there's no mm-hmm. chance of him getting there. Yeah. Um so that's what, like I said, that's just what's unfortunate. It's one of those that you got, we got to have it. Yeah. You, you, this offense can't afford to miss an easy pass like that. No. Um, no. And, and the other problem is that, you know, the deep accuracy is really spotty and it leads, it's been leading to turnovers. You know, we, we've seen other stuff where, where the decisions are poor with these throws and, and then it's, it's a little bit off target and it's a dangerous throw and river has a ton of dropped interceptions too. Like it, it should, oh, yeah. it, it could be worse. Um, so well, remember that's what popped up. That started last year. Yeah, so many yeah. people want to say he hasn't thrown an interception yet. He has. It's like yeah, he should have. But yeah. Go back. Go back and watch that Saints game again. Yeah. last year. You tell yeah. me how many of those should have been picked off. Yeah, and and that you know that's why you look at the stats and it looks gaudy and all this. But again, like fifty five of those, or it was a, a big percent. It was like forty yards or something of of Ritter's passing yards were that jet sweep to Bijan. Mm-hmm. So like, first of all, that's you know a little bit inflated. But well, you have that, and then you also you have the final drive. Yeah, yeah. You get a good amount of yards on that, that too. Yes. So it's just it. 
it was it was a fine game for Ritter. I would say that he did hit some throws, but again, it's like you, you can't have the safety. You can't have the what should have been a pick six. You know, and again, that that mm-hmm. one's not necessarily as much on him because again, the play call has him turn his back to to the receiver. So it's he like hasn't turned his back. We just ran. How we've many done this play like two or three times. Yeah, already. Uh, so that one I blame Arthur Smith for more than anything. But you know, it the offense can't do these things. Um, the it, the team is on it's on the edge of a knife every week, which is a big indictment of of the offense. Obviously, that that we're that close to the edge always. Um, mm-hmm. But you know. Well, well, you guys heard all of our criticisms of the game plan and the play calling stuff on the post game show. You know, ten carries for Bijan is absolutely inexcusable. I mean, it's just man. Um, but let, let's talk about something more positive, Jordan. Unless you had something else you wanted to get to on that before we move on. Well, I think this is kind of a good segue. Yeah, uh, yeah. going into that because I was looking at this. Uh, I was so curious as to you know us running the ball. And just how it looked versus, you know, where we were running, right? And, you know, again, for the most part, if you run behind your left guard, you got 4.6 yards of carry. You'll take that. If you run to the outside, on the left side, you know, outside of a tight end, we had a tight end attached. You, we ran it twice for uh, twice for four and a half yards per carry. Um, and, again, just if we run it off the left guard, it was five for 23. Um if you ran it right off the center's right, so kind of right between where Drew Dahlman and Chris Lindstrom when he was in, um, in that gap right there, four carries, 16 yards. All right, four yards a pop. Again, we'll take that. Um, off the right guard, so this is now outside of Chris Lindstrom. Four, I mean, two carries, 14 yards, seven. If you run it right outside of where uh, Storm Norton was, three carries, 13 yards, it's 4.3. So, again, it's not even a fact of, we couldn't run the ball. It's just a question of why didn't we? And then in terms of certain plays, what, I mean, we've been asking this for, for weeks yeah. on end now, where's that downhill run game. And I'm saying that not even just because of how we block it. It's the personnel that we have. And unless, so unless someone can meet and square up Bijan, uh, Tyler Algier or Cordero right up in a, in a gap and they just have to arm tackle them. Yeah, probably going to make somebody miss. And we've seen that on tape way too much. And that's why I'm just curious and so confused as to why, you know, and I get it. Desmond Ritter's past numbers are a little inflated because, again, he was throwing late on that last drive. But still, it him throwing 35-plus times is not the recipe, right? Again, that's why even going back to the last Tampa matchup, I think he threw, was like 25, was, around yeah. 25-ish times in that game. Uh, but, again, it was like, hey, I think the – We've been saying it all along. The ideal window for this team where they should be want to be, if Desmond can throw for about 225 to 250, and then you run for another 125, 150, there you go. That That's where you want to live. Um, but again, like I said, the fact that Rashad White had one fewer carries than we did as a team, I, I, I can't – No, I don't want to say I can't accept it, but it's just I, I just don't see that as a way for this team to win. Yeah, and again, I, like I know we talked about, well, you had the backup sentence. Like I get that, but again, they're bi- they're one of their biggest reasons as to why they're such a good run stopping team when they can be because they, they Tampa hasn't even been that good, I believe, this year stopping the run. Uh, he was out talking about Vita Vea. So yeah, um, now you had a chance to really go after it and and at least tempt it and test a little bit more because look, did we just not talk about how? Our defense, especially up front, 
got worn down because of the amount of running run the game. Look, at the end of the day, we punted the ball four times. Jake and Martin punted six. So it's not like we didn't have chances to to wear them down either, and we didn't. Um, so yeah, like yeah. I said, I just felt like talking about the run game is a good segue yeah. to going to the offense. No, exactly. And and on those punting drives, it was very pass heavy. You know, we got a lot of throws, a lot of missed deep shots on first down. Like it was a very bizarre third quarter, in my opinion. Like, and that that just goes back to my overall questioning of I don't know what the game plan is and I don't it doesn't make any sense to me um you know we know this is this has been a run first team forever and you're going up against a team that you know they they just they're missing their biggest run stopper and they're missing their second linebacker and you've had decent success running the ball in the first half and you just go away from it um you go away from it until the fourth quarter again um and you know, I just I I can't make any excuses for that. I mean, I think it's just poor decision making, and you spend all this money bringing all these guys for this run game, and it's just like we're gonna throw it forty times. You know, mm-hmm. and I just it doesn't make any sense to me. But you know, uh, I, I don't get paid the big bucks, so somebody else can figure out why the hell they're they're doing it. But um, we should definitely shout out. You know, as frustrating as the performance was, like the 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 reserve offensive lineman that had to come into this yes. game. Absolutely. They all did a good job. <laughs> I mean, for weirdly, PFF like didn't like Bergeron's game, which I found bizarre because I thought he was a key player on a lot of those runs, even though there weren't that many. He didn't allow any pressures at all, but they buried him uh, with like a forty-something pass grade, which also bizarre. But whatever, you know, they have their own reasons, I guess. But you know, Ryan Newsel had to start his first game at center. He was an above-average player this week, so. That's that's all you can You'll that's all it. you can hope for. Um, take it. You know, I thought Storm Norton held up just fine. Um, PFF didn't like his game either, but I thought he held up just fine. But the big one, the he, big he got beat a couple of times. He did. On, on, he did. In pass pro, but yeah, he had he gave up one pressure. Yeah. Um, but really, the one I was most surprised by was Tyler Vrabel, who had to come in and play left tackle, and this yeah. is like your deep reserve tackle now. Um, and I was like, oh no, Jake Matthews is out. Like. Shout out to Jake Matthews for forgetting that streak before he had to miss time. Also, hopefully he's back <laughs> this week, but um, he doesn't have to sweat it too much because he already broke the, the record. But, you know, Rabel has to come in for 57 snaps and um, he ends up doing a great job. You know, PFF graded him as the Falcons, I think, fifth highest offensive player. And I think the the second best offensive lineman behind Jake Matthews, who was having a great game, um, you know, uh, so you know, whatever they're, whatever they're doing to get these, these backup tackles ready to go, uh, <laughs> they get major props because these guys had to, to play significant snaps. You know, Rabel has, ends up playing almost 60 snaps in this game and, um, doesn't give up any pressures <laughs> to, to Shaq Barrett. And, and, uh, you know, this, mm-hmm. this edge group isn't great for Tampa Bay, but Shaq Barrett's still a good edge rusher. And, and, yeah. um, they allow just the one sack, I think all game and just, a, and just, uh, four total pressures. So, Big, big props to these reserve offensive linemen and, and the news flash finally getting a chance. No, absolutely. And and also, you know, just to add to that, shout out and credit to uh Cal Hitton, because he's the one yeah. that had to come in for I think five snaps while mm-hmm. uh while uh Chris Lindstrom was out. And I know some people might think that's only five snaps, he didn't do much. Look, in the course of a football game, even though you have what 130, 140 snaps, you never know. It could be these three snaps. Like this is one of my one of my high school coaches used to always tell us. You never know what three – it usually comes down to three plays in a football game that make all the difference, and you never know which three they're going to be. So if you can come in and you're just a reserve for 
five snaps. Because, I mean, hey, we could easily look at this and say in this game, if Kyle Hendon's in, we and we uh and you know he gets beat, River fumbles, or you know, it's it's a he's supposed to run block here, he gets beat, run, you know, like any situation like that, right? Where then we'd be like, man, see, he's in there, we got hurt. So no, we can't do that this week, right? So I want to give a shout out to him too. But no, again, it's like you said, it's really a testament to again coaching the way that the Falcons prepare to make sure they can have as much depth as possible. Uh, but also, like I said, I was just so impressed. But this it was it was almost a backwards game, yeah. For me, in terms of again, usually when you get to the league, the thing that most linemen are going to be good at is run blocking, right? Like that. That's just kind of the bare minimum. It's the pass blocking that's different because all these all these new athletes and you know things of that nature that you got to go against and how much faster the game is going. That's usually the area where you know people have to have to um, you know kind of come up speed. I mean, look at Matthew Bergeron, right? Like, I'm not saying this to say that he's been a bad pass blocker. We know he's had his moments where he's gotten beat, more so in pass blocking than in the run game. So the fact that these guys came in and, like, I was surprised, honestly. And, and again, not saying that I thought they were bad, but just, again, the fact of you got to come in, replace some guys, and for the most part, you keep Desmond Ritter upright. Did that? I mean, that's just an, an impressive, remarkable job to where – Again, we should be, like you said, the Falcons should have scored 30-plus points. And I say that whether it's offensively, young Wiku, you name it. This should have been a game that should have been the biggest morale-boosting win yep. of the whole season. Of yeah. You talk about all the guys that you were, who you were missing coming into the game, who went out during the game, and you still find found a way to win a game, and not just a game, a game that got you sole first place in your division, got you back over 500. Like that, this, this should have been the biggest game, biggest morale winning game that led us towards clinching NFC South of the whole year. Yep. But instead, it's one of the another one of those games with the Falcons of shoulda, woulda, coulda. You know. Yep. Then that's exactly. what's that's what's so you know sad about it. And, and obviously, the offensive line is one of the biggest uh, biggest position groups that really personifies that. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's it's obviously if you can have storm norton and tyler rabel as reliable reserve tackles for you going forward that that's huge for your draft plans you don't have to go out and spend Mm -hmm. big money on a swing swing tackle or spend a premium draft pick there which at this point you know given their other needs they they may not be able to afford i know a lot of people want to replace caleb mcgarry or whatever but it's like they may not be able to afford a premium pick on tackle right now given their other needs and the fact they're probably going to have to trade up for a quarterback so um you know that one of those top picks has to be an edge rusher. We all know that. They could really use a wide receiver too. And if they have to trade another one of those day two picks to get up into the, you know, if they're picking in the top 10 or whatever and they got to get the top five, you know, having that that Ridley pick is going to be really crucial. Say, keep uh, balling, sure. Calvin Ridley. Yeah, uh, keep balling. But, you know, they, they won't, if they had that extra pick and didn't need to trade up, maybe that could be a tackle. But as it stands now, they're probably going to need that day two pick to get up into the top five for this quarterback. So, um, you know, it, it helps if you've got guys like Storm Norton and Tyler Vrabel that you can rely upon as swing tackles and you don't have to go get that guy uh, in the draft right now. And you could probably put that off for another year because um, they don't have a lot of lot of stuff to spare at this point. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, to me, the biggest, you know, the biggest thing is you didn't run the ball uh, anywhere near as much as you should have. I think on the game preview, I said that this needed to be a balanced game plan. I thought that they, the, the Bucks defense is vulnerable against the pass, so it shouldn't be like a 40 carry game, but I was expecting like 30 plus easily. 
um, you know, I was thinking maybe a 30-30 type of game. You know, you throw the ball sure. around when you can and run the ball as much as, as the Bucks will let you. You know, at the time, I didn't know if Vita Vey would play or not. But with, with Vita Vey out, it was like, okay, maybe you maybe you run a little bit more than you would have if he was playing. But they don't really commit to the run. They only give Bijan 10 carries. And they go three and out, four straight drives, basically, uh, in the third quarter. And not only do they not score, they don't give their defense any rest and they don't take any time off the clock because if one of those drives ends up turning into something or even gets strung out to be a field goal drive or even maybe not a field goal drive just you 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 get past that first first down and you string it out for a couple minutes and end up punting the bucks don't have any time at the end of this game and you know you yeah. you, you score that touchdown with time expiring and, and the bucks having to to throw up a hail mary instead you know you you put your defense out there and you hang them out to dry again and you do it in a game where they don't have the depth to really withstand it. And the defense ends up losing and they're taking the flack uh, when this was, this game was a hundred percent on the offense. And like, yes, young way missed two kicks. Like we can't have that. Um, but you, you, you can't depend on your kicker being perfect every week. And this should well, have been a game even, where, yeah, yeah. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say like, not even just being perfect. It's, perfect from distance too right yeah like, 50 I get plus it. He, like we know he can we know he can hit him right that's that's not the thing i'm trying to say here but what, yeah once you get past that 45 50 range you're really asking for it um and i mean and let's look at some of the drives that we had there that led to that right part of it was okay we had just got a big stop turnover on downs right uh we got the ball at r47 okay and we get Five plays for 21 yards there. Um, and then we have to we have to we have to punt. I mean, then when we kick the field goal. Okay. Yeah. So that that's part of it, right? Um, and then the other one is off, off of a punt. Again, get credit to the state to the defense because so we they made uh we made Tampa Bay punt. We got the safety. So now the defense is back on the field again after one play, made them punt three and out. You got a good return by D. Alford. So one, and then we go six plays for nineteen yards, um, which means now it's a fifty-two yard kick, and that was the one that was right before, um, that was right before halftime, which again I you know I I wasn't even a fan of the uh, play calling sequence right here, yeah. just because go so you got two yard I mean you got eight yards, um on that first down play, right? I think it was to uh, Drake to Drake London. Boom. Gets out of bounds. Awesome. Second and two. Now, this is what I'm saying. Like, right here, even if you want to play for a field goal, that's fine. You have second and two, and you still have timeouts. Go ahead and run the football, right? Like, this is a chance to run the football, and, and while I'm watching a play-by-play right now. Yeah. says that, uh, you know, we called our second timeout before the, the kick, which, I, I mean, I couldn't tell just because, you know, Anybody else that watched the game too, you know, CBS was terrible at letting us know how many timeouts the Falcons have. Yeah, it was there. Um, it was all messed up. Yeah, yeah. I never, I never knew. But um, so yeah, we throw it on second down, and then um, now it's okay. Now we're gonna run the ball on third, and you know, call a timeout um, to the kick, set up a fifty-two yard field goal. Like, I just don't. I'm never gonna be in favor of trying to set up a field goal that's like forty-five yards or longer. You know, again, we have a kicker that can hit it. Which is great. Most, I mean, a lot of NFL teams probably aren't going to be as confident as we are in ours, but still, that it was just 
again, certain yeah. things like that, like whether, again, it's a play calling, but also offensive execution and moments like that that set up those long field goals, especially when you do get short fields. Yeah. That's the thing that makes it even more frustrating. Like, it's not like we drove from inside, they pinned us inside our 10, and we had to drive to get over there and we missed points, right? It was, yeah. no, you mm-hmm. both times, I think I said you had to like get to 47, and um, and you end up with zero points. Yeah, it's like the offense wasn't taking advantage of the defense getting them good field position, um, and and even we finally got a good return and they squandered. Hey, <laughs> so, yeah, we had two. We had two solid. We returns had some good today. returns. Yeah, shout out to D. Alford. He's. It's funny because now D. Alford and Mike Hughes have the same number of punt returns. They both have eleven, and uh, D. Alford has like double the yardage <laughs> of Mike Hughes. I think D. Alford's averaging like nine point seven per return, and Mike Hughes was like down at six or, or lower or something like that. So. Um, yeah, shout out to shout out to D. Alford for for getting it done as a punt returner uh, because it's been pretty dark out there uh, with with yeah. UCF legend Mike Hughes, which is the bizarrest thing because he was such a good returner in college, uh, but uh, he just can't do it at the NFL apparently. But really frustrating game. Um, that that's why you'll hear me saying, yeah, I blame the offense for this, even though the defense gave up that you know game winning touchdown. It's like it's not just what happens on the final drive that is the ultimate arbiter of the game. It's everything leading up to that that matters. And the truth of the matter is the Falcons should have had 35 points easily in this game on offense. And they didn't, like, because of stupid mistakes. Easy missed touchdown to B. John Robinson. Then they have two missed field goals. Then, you know, they have the pick six and the safety that directly give the Bucs, you know, nine points. So, you know, you don't have that offense causing those problems then maybe the you know then it's 25 to 29 at the end of the game instead uh or it's a it's 20 25 to 20 at the end with the bucks you know with a futile late touchdown so you know it those those things matter like not just the final drive of the game matters it's it's the culmination of four quarters that gets you the final score so you know don't bury the defense when they were left out to dry for basically the second and third quarters entirely had the offense played a more complete game. And I'm not and literally when I say that I'm talking about, again, you talk about the Antoine Winfield jr. Play phenomenal play. Um, like you mentioned the safety, but also you get the touchdown instead. It's like you said, I mean, that's what 29, 20 us, I believe in that situation. So, and that's including the, the two missed kicks. Yeah. Right. And so that's like, so, so to your point, that's why I'm saying that. And also, again, I, I genuinely believe if you can make something happen instead of punting the ball as much as we had to in the middle of that game and you allow the defense to be more fresh. Like, this is one of those games, too, and I'm not saying that I would necessarily want an offense to have this mentality, but at certain points in a game, I do think you need to keep in mind what's going on with the other side of the ball. Yeah. Right, where absolutely. it's, hey, we're losing, we lost these amount of guys. The defense has been on the field a lot. It's really an onus on us right now to either shorten the game, right, which means you're going to be running the ball a little bit more to give the to make sure they don't have to be out there as much, or we really do have to work on at least getting the first down or two here to get them a break and a rest. And so that again, to your point, it's just unfortunate that we couldn't do that because um, then who knows how the how the end of this game goes? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just when you when you when you put your defense out there over and over and over again, and to their credit, in that stretch. I think the defense like then just immediately turned around and forced the Bucks offense off the field like the first couple times, but eventually they give up a touchdown and then they, you know, that's when the Bucks really started 
getting their offense going, but it, it all adds up over the course of a game. Um, exactly. And, and you, you know, you can't just depend. First of all, you, your offense shouldn't be having to go on this miraculous comeback every single week. It's not a sustainable way to win as we've seen, because guess what? They're six right. and seven against an easy schedule. They're not doing what they need to do offensively. Then you're putting both sides of the ball in a bind because your offense has to make a miracle happen late in the game. And then when they do that, now you're throwing the defense back out there at the end of this game when they're exhausted. It's like, yep, okay, well, we made the, we made the comeback happen. Now defense, it's up to you. You know, sorry we, like, didn't do anything for you the entire game, but we need you now. And, you know, like you were saying before the show, like, it's, it's weird that we have expectations for this defense to actually do that now. But mm-hmm. don't overcorrect and then be like, well, now it's the defense's fault. No, the offense lost this game, plain and simple. Uh, the defense yeah, I mean, gave up to get the deciding touchdown, but the offense right. gave the game up long before that touchdown was scored. You, I mean, you just have guys coming in, and we can talk about it when they're reserve guys and just rotational guys, but you had certain players out there that aren't used to playing this many snaps, right? Again, like we talked about Andre Smith plays 52. Calais plays 46. Taquan Graham plays 40. Huggins plays 39. Um, you know, it's just there's certain guys where, and I get it, you can easily say, Oh, well, they get paid to do this. They should be in shape. I'm not saying they aren't in shape. Again, it's just a matter of when you have guys doing more than what they're used to. It's almost like, put it this way. If I'm a relief pitcher, you know, I'm used to pitching, what, maybe 20 pitches in a game, max here or there. Like, you can't just all of a sudden make a relief pitcher a starter and think that they're going to go, you know, X amount of – like, John Smoltz is is an anomaly, (laughs) y'all. You can't – like, you don't usually see someone that's a starter – and then they can be a closer and then go back up to build up be a starter again. And also that wasn't like it was just during like midseason. That was he had offseason to get ready for this, that, yada, 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 right? So all of a sudden when you're asking your relievers that go one or two innings to start going five, six, seven, yeah, you start to wear down a little bit. And again, that's that's what I'm saying here. And that was what what you it was just obvious, right? Watching yeah. the game live, watching some of it back already, it was just obvious that's what started to happen. Yeah. So I I you know, this defense deserves so much credit for keeping this team afloat uh, that I just needed to stand for them this week. You know, like they, they deserve their props for for weathering the injuries and, and keeping this team in it, giving the offense a chance to score at the end to take the lead. Uh, you know, I'm not going to bury him for giving up the touchdown when, you know, like, yeah, it was a bad play by Richie Grant. You know, he, he screwed up. Yes, he, he played it with absolutely the wrong technique and, and you know, obviously didn't go well. Uh, but it it should have been okay. Well, the Bucks have scored now, and now the Falcons only lead by six. You know, <laughs> like okay. Well, now if the Buc- Bucks get this onside kick, maybe they can throw a hail mary instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we're we're down. Um, so the offense has to be better. Uh, the defense is pulling their weight, and they've they've more than pulled their weight. I would say they've carried the team for most of these games, and the offense has to be better. Absolutely. Um, and so instead of winning this game and taking full control of the NFC South, we're now back in a position where you know, the, the Falcons are no longer favored to make the playoffs. Um, and I don't think they will. <laughs> I, I don't think they're going to. Um, th- now, the NFC South wanna... is still the NFC South. So there's yeah, always a chance. And I mean, but... And I'm not saying this to say that I'm being optimistic. I'm not saying this to say I'm optimistic because I'm not. But it's just from a realistic standpoint. That Tampa Bay team we had, we just played. They have to go up to Green Bay next week, and then they got to play Jacksonville. I think those are two losses for them. Yeah. Um, you know, I I, I really be. do. Then of course, New Orleans. I mean, I think what they have 
coming up for them is Giants. Uh, let me this take week, a I look. Think. Yeah, yeah, Giants. But then they got to go play at uh, at LA, who all of a sudden is a pretty decent team. Yep. And then um, you know there's going to be a bit. Obviously, the last two matchups for them are big because it's at Tampa. Then they go play us. So I say all that to say it's it's still one of those things of because again just the variance week to week from this division and teams this division. I'm not trying to sit here and tell everyone, yes, we're going to make the playoffs, but I'm also not saying that we're, that, you know, we're going to be, yeah. I'm, I'm saying confident we're going to be at home watching. Um, <laughs> yeah. But of I course mean, the other thing. Yeah. yeah. So like that's, you know, that that's kind of where I am with this, but also at the same time, still nobody's fault, but ours because we could very easily be a wildcard team, right? You don't lose that game <laughs> to Washington. You yeah. don't lose that game to Minnesota. Uh, I'm throwing the Detroit one out for for now, but you, especially those two games because you know you look at the tiebreakers. The reason why we're sitting outside the playoffs right now is because our conference record isn't good. Yeah, and so, this is the same story yeah. every year. In Arizona, in Arizona too, they lose so. those dumb games, man, uh, and those games will come back to haunt you at the end of the season. Imagine, you know, you get you get one of those that. wins, and you're in the driver's seat right now in the South. Still, you know, you just get well, one of those that, games. So, and that's the crazy thing about it, and I mean, it happens everywhere though, too, like right? Because look at look at Philly. Right, Philly. Obviously, they've been embarrassed the last um, last two weeks, right, against Dallas, and then also against um, uh, San Francisco. But let's not forget, those aren't the two games as to why they aren't in um, first place right now. If you ask me, you know the reason why they're not in first place in terms of the overall <laughs> NFC. They lost to the Jets. Yep, that's the reason why they're not in first place. So. <laughs> Again, yep. it's just things like that. And I'm not saying that to say that they're the best team in the NFC. No. I think right now, I think everyone pretty much agrees that's San Francisco. But it's even with everything else and how bad they've looked these last two weeks, They, I know they're shooting themselves of, you know what? We still would have everything in our control if we just beat the damn Jets. Yep, exactly. So it's it's rough. Uh, it's rough out there. But at this point, you know, the, the Falcons, they, they still have to go to Indianapolis or they play Indianapolis at home. And then they got to go play the Bears, who look like a completely different team now. So, yeah, it was a lot better. You know, if if you lose those two games, you're done. So, you know, you, I mean, maybe not even. Maybe maybe you lose those two games <laughs> and you you beat the you beat the Panthers and the Saints and you're fine. You know, because you win in New Orleans. But like, I beating the Saints in New Orleans is a very difficult proposition for this team. That's yeah, a tough ask. Um, I mean, I I wouldn't pick them to win that game. So, you know. <laughs> I, I mean it was one of those ask. it was one of those coming into this year right yeah. where again like i've said if you were to make that game as Ill, irrelevant as possible and i say irrelevant as possible in terms of if you lose that game no big deal at least in terms of standings like that game's always going to matter because it's the saints like we always want to beat mm -hmm. the saints right but you didn't want to go into that game and it meant something and right now, at least the way we're tracking, we're doing everything we possibly can to make that game mean something. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I suspect that that game will be meaningful uh, at the end of the season at, at this point. Yeah, I do but, too. Yeah. Uh, other than that, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure they win that game. But you know, we'll see. We'll see how the rest of the season goes. But it'll be, it'll be, it's going to be hilarious if this team goes seven and ten again because right now I think that's what they're on track for. So. Oh, good grief. <laughs> You know, so that would be uh, that would be the ultimate irony. Uh, seven and ten, pick an eighth once again. <laughs> oh man, good times, good times. But no, they yeah, aren't. guys, 
right? No, not not so good actually. But yeah, guys, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate all of you for for hanging out and watching this week's trench talk. Uh, want to thank, of course, my co-host Jordan Watkins at Big Seventy Five Fella for his contributions today. Jordan is the host of the Falcons Fade Podcast. Anything else you like to let the people know about Jordan before we take off? Uh, like I said, yeah, again, if you're in the Georgia area, you got, uh, what was it, GPTV. I think it's at 7 p.m. Eastern, Woodward Academy, taking on Thomas County Central. I know my guys have been a little bit banged up this year, but they still found a way to make it all the way to the state championship, which is awesome. Uh, I never made it past the second round um, when when I was playing. Of course, we played against some pretty good guys. I'm sure you've probably heard names of, like Gabe Wright, uh, Isaiah Crowell, Stefan Tuitt. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else did we play? Oh, and then the team I think we played our senior year. I think we played the closest game with them the whole playoffs, and they still beat us by like twenty something plus. You know, like so it wasn't like the, the, it wasn't like we didn't go against some guys when that happened. But uh, no, again, in all seriousness, I'm happy for them. Shout out to everyone who's playing in the bins, whether it's football or flags. I know they're they're there too. And um, yeah, go War Eagles. Yeah. Go get it, guys. Like, good luck to those. Good luck to Woodward. Good luck to those guys, of course. Uh, always. High school football is just, it's its, its own thing. It's unique. It's fun. I love it. Uh, I love it's, it. It's, it's one of the better versions of football because you could see anything in high school football. You could see wing tee. You could see, you know, and, and it works, anything. you know, and it's great. It, it's fun. Um, and high school football is also hilarious because sometimes you'll see just those teams, you know, you know the teams. I mean, it's just like, oh. They're just clearly better than everyone, since so just every game is like seventy to zero. It's like, well, yeah, we got, man. we might, we might have something here. <laughs> we might have something here. So it, it's, mm-hmm. it's fun. Uh, it's fun, fun to watch. Definitely, uh, go, go watch your high school teams, guys. Uh, and guys, I'm Kevin Knight of Falcoholic. Kevin, reminder, uh, to check out the uh, channel memberships if you're watching on YouTube. If you want to support the show, get access to early episodes and things like that. You can check out the Patreon if you're a podcast enjoyer for the same thing for the podcast stuff. Uh, please like subscribe for watching on YouTube and leave that five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. Today's show was of course brought to you by bet online and guys, make sure to join us on Wednesday night at 8 PM Eastern for Falcoholic live. Our next show as we talk about this upcoming week and a very critical matchup against the Carolina Panthers, which, you know, should be a dub, but you never, I, I don't trust this team for anything. So, uh, well, we'll see. We'll see how the hell that goes. But guys, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time on the Dirty Birds and Brews podcast. Have a great day.